The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. And so we're not looking at a lot of verses, but I want to say this. This is probably the most important message that I could share all year because of what is in these verses. And the title of the message is Holding It All Together. Now you'll find out as we get kind of to the end of the message what we're talking about, but I wanna kind of lay that out. Uh, We are living in some very, very challenging times. And how in the world are we going to hold it all together? And I feel we all are challenged in that way. So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and we welcome the presence of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for everyone who is listening to this message. Lord, you see them, you are aware of them, you have brought them in some way, in some uh, situation to be able to hear this particular message in these specific verses from the letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the ancient church of Colossae, and the words that he shares tonight, the truths that are revealed, um, the words that were written down by the divine inspiration and breath of the Holy Spirit are filled with your supernatural power to bring help, to bring hope, to bring joy, to bring love. And Lord, there are also seeds, we pray, that would be planted in our minds and within our hearts. And may they bear fruit, all of the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and long-suffering and all the rest. And we just thank you, Lord. We trust that you're going to speak to us. May we hear your word. And we look not just to grow in knowledge, but also so that we can live and so that we can do and we can act out our faith for such a time as this. In Jesus' wonderful, mighty name we pray and ask all these things. And everyone said, amen. Amen. The total adequacy of Jesus Christ. So I want to begin tonight um, just kind of giving you a, a big picture of what's kind of going on in the world right now. And, and basically asking the question, how in the world are you and I, so here we are, we're coming to the end of 2021, and thank God that we're here and that you're here, we've made it this far. <laughs> Can I hear an amen? Hallelujah, thank you, Lord. But we, that, that means when we come to the end of this year, now we gotta survive next year. <laughs> it's another year coming. And look, um, you know, I'll be honest, in fact, I met a few couples on their way into church here, it's the Saturday night service, and we're talking about all that's going on and, and uh, you know, asking, so how are you doing in the midst of all of this? I said, well, I am just like everybody else. I, I'm in the midst of all the circumstances we're all in, and it's been quite a year. It's been quite a couple of years, um, and anticipating, you know, there's more battles and more uh, things to come. How are we going to handle this? How are we going to hold up? How are we holding up? And are we gonna be able to hold it together? 
And there is always, look, the enemy is always coming after us. And one of the uh, tactics of the enemy is to wear the saints out. Where you just get tired and weary and mad and throw the towel in, I'm done, you know, and you walk away mad. Whatever that does, not much, right? So how are we going to hold it together? Um, and I'm gonna start with some things happening. I don't wanna talk about what's domestically happening. I'm sure you all are aware of that. But I wanna go a little bit, just briefly, big picture, and share just a couple of things that are going on right now as we come to celebrate Christmas. Number one, Russia. This is from the Jerusalem Post, uh, December 10th, 2021. Uh, Russia said on Thursday that escalating tensions over the Ukraine could lead to a repeat of the Cuban Missile Crisis when the world stood on the brink of nuclear war. Uh, the Deputy Minister uh, Sergei Ryabkov made the comment when asked by a reporter if the current situation could turn into something resembling the 1962 Cold War standoff. Now, I was a little guy, uh, literally, in 1962, but I remember my parents and watching, like, Walter Cronkite talking. I mean, it was like, they were glued to the TV, dead serious. I go, what's going on? They go, it's bad, you know? Um, and, I mean, literally, we were looking, the whole thing that happened in Cuba, they were saying we could be in nuclear war. I went to school when we had to, remember, do those little drills, get under your desk or learn how to roll, all that crazy kind of, and I was like, you're a little kid. Well, now here we are coming full circle again. He says, you know, it really could come to that. Interfax news agency quoted him as saying, if things continue as they are, it is entirely possible by the logic of events to suddenly wake up and see yourself in something similar. So that's what's going on with Russia and Ukraine as Russia's bringing all these soldiers on the border of Ukraine. So that's building tension. Secondly, what's happening in China? This is from the Washington Free Beacon, just December 9th. And they've got this big map uh, here, and it says China's military, quote, will heavily, here's what China is saying, because here's a picture of China, and then you've got uh, Taiwan, will heavily attack U.S. troops who come to Taiwan's rescue if a war between Ch uh, China and Taiwan breaks out, a possibility that is increasingly likely as the communist regime readies its war machine on Taiwan's borders. The latest threat attack to the United States during any standoff between China and Iran was issued on Thursday in the Global Times, an official Chinese Communist Party mouthpiece that prints the regime's propaganda, quote, it is credible that the People's Liberation Army will heavily attack U.S. troops who come to Taiwan's rescue, the paper wrote. Such credibility is increasingly overwhelming the deterrence that U.S. troops may have. So I bring those things up because we have I mean, these are, you know, one of them, just Russia, Ukraine is a huge global situation. China and Taiwan is also another huge uh, headline that is happening right now. The world is, uh, it feels like, does anybody agree with me the world feels a little bit right now like things are kind of getting desperately out of control? Does anybody feel like that? So how are we going to live? How are we going to survive how are we gonna hold it together in the midst of this? Okay, now I wanna bring it into where we are tonight. We talked about that we're, in the, we're following now the biblical calendar. We just finished the biblical Hebrew month of Kislev. 
It's the time of Hanukkah, this is the Maccabees, and I won't tell the whole story, but I just wanna mention this. There was a time, uh, and it was in 164 BC, before Jesus was even born, that the, the Greeks, under this character named Antiochus Epiphanes, who, by the way, is said by most Bible commentators to be a type of the Antichrist, who used the force of his power and authority and control to try to crush any form of religion, in particular Judaism. He wanted to force them, and the battle was to assimilate all of the Jews. And there was so much pressure, many of the Jews gave up. They threw in the towel. They, they stopped naming their kids Jewish names. The high priest changed his name from Joshua to Jason. And then they stopped you know, circumcising, stopped sacrificing, they stopped doing all of the Jewish stuff and reading the, the, the commandments of Moses and many, most of the people assimilated. But there was a small group called the Maccabees who drew a line in the sand and they said, I don't care what happens. I am not gonna be Greek. I'm not gonna name my kids Greek. I'm not gonna stop reading the Bible. I'm not gonna stop worshiping God. And I don't care how much pressure they bring to bear, even if it costs me my life, I am going to remain loyal to God. Now, it was only a remnant. It was only a tiny group that most of the people were like, ah, it's too much, it's too hard, too much pressure, and they kind of went along with it to varying degrees. But it was the Maccabees who drew the line and went down deep and kind of you know, said, we're not, we're not doing that. And in fact, we're gonna lean into honoring and loving the Lord and living for him. And this started a little rebellion and then little by little they came back. And then they overthrew Antiochus Epiphanes and the whole miracle of Hanukkah, the light that comes in the darkness. Now I remind you of that story because we're in a similar time right now. And what I want to say tonight as we begin these verses of Colossians, when Paul wrote Colossians, he was not writing in a vacuum. He was trying to write about a definite situation. And during that time, when Paul was in prison, writing a letter to a brand new church that had just been planted in Colossae, there was pressure from the Roman government, there was pressure from also false teachers to get Christians to stop talking about Jesus as the Messiah and as the Son of God. And these Gnostics were basically saying, yeah, Jesus may be a way or one way, but there are other ways, and why does it only have to be him? And Paul is addressing that very real issue. So number one, I want you to write this down in your outline. Uh, Jesus because here's what Paul's gonna write about. Jesus existed before creation. Verse 15, let me read it to you. He says, he, now Paul's writing about Jesus. To these people that said, no, yeah, Jesus is good, he's a prophet, he's a good man, he did wonderful miracles, but he is not all that. Paul writes, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation the image of the invisible God. Paul says Jesus Christ existed before creation of the entire universe. And I believe that this is very, very powerful for us to look at and think about tonight. Because with these Gnostics, as they were called, uh, this is who Paul, it was the cult that was then. 
And you can fill in the blank. There's many cults today. And here's what I want to, I'm going to just summarize. All cults that are maybe just off a degree or two. And, and what I want to say to you tonight is Paul wrote this letter because what he was saying to the church then, and I believe his word to the church is still the same today, you and I, under these pressures of, you know, the world wanting to, us to assimilate, and the one attack really of the enemy is, it's not that being a Christian or going to church or having your own religion and faith and all of that. It's by you saying that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. No, there are many other spiritual roads. There's many other spiritual religions, spiritual gurus, ways, you know, we can all make it to God. And they wanted to diminish him. Paul was writing to say no. If you um, were to get on a, a ship here in San Diego and you wanted, how many of you think it would be great to be able to get on a personal, kind of a rich person's yacht and sail for a two-week vacation in Maui? How, anybody, anybody for that? What if your captain said, you know, so when are we going to get there? And he goes, well, I'm not sure. He goes, I've got a pretty close gauge, but I might be off a few degrees. Just a couple. Do you realize if you're off just a couple degrees by the time, you may never see the island. You, how many of you are all for the captain saying, I want to be exactly on the navigation point that will get me to the island of Maui so I can enjoy the two weeks? Can I hear an amen on that? So also a very simple analogy that with the Bible, and we're talking about eternal consequences, we cannot allow ourselves to get off even by one degree. So Paul says in verse 15 about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. That word image is the Greek word icon. That's a word that's used in English all the time. Say the word icon, icon. We talk about an icon, the Im it's really about image. Icon is an image. Jesus is the exact icon of God. He is the exact representation. But Paul, as you will see in the next couple of verses, he is more than a representation because if you have a perfect representation, it can actually become a manifestation. Jesus is so much the icon and the image of God that he literally manifests God in his person. Jesus is the perfect manifestation of God. Now, let me give you a couple of scriptures. Uh, you can read them along with me. Hebrews chapter one, verse three. Let's read this out loud together. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Oh, I love that. Jesus is the, now God is invisible. No man has at any time seen God. But Jesus, who is from the bosom of the Father, has made him known, made him seen, made him revealed. And that's who Jesus is. And I love the writer of Hebrews, the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. And wait till we get to the end of the message and upholding 
all things by the word of his power, talking about Jesus. So Jesus has existed, pre-existed before all of creation. Look at me in John chapter 14, verse nine, about Jesus being the image of God. Let's read this out loud. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. <laughs> That's not I'm a rung on the ladder to get to him, but that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So I want to say very, I want to say it as simple, bold, direct as I possibly can. Anything you've ever wanted to know about who God is, what he might think about you or life or whatever, look at Jesus. Think about Jesus, what Jesus actually said, what he actually did, uh, what his actions were. Everything about you, that you want to know about God, perfectly, completely, thoroughly, and totally, you can find in Jesus. Jesus is the perfect expression of who God is, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. I wanted to just say that by saying that he is the image or the icon of God, it's more than a sketch of God. This is more than just a, like you can make a portrait, okay, sit down in the chair and then, oh, look, the picture looks a lot like, no. Jesus is the living portrait. He literally is the living uh, expression of the image of God. In him, there is nothing left out. He's not a lifeless painting, but he is the full revelation of God. And if you have seen him, you have seen the Father. So then, having said that, he goes on to say, and the firstborn of all creation. Now, a lot of people, especially in modern times in English, and there are many people that are wrong as they write about this from a modern, you know, version English uh, stuff. Well, you see, Jesus was born. He wasn't always, you know. Here's what I want to say about this expression, firstborn. There's two things to note about this expression, firstborn. Number one, firstborn is a title of honor. When it says firstborn, it doesn't mean Jesus was created. It is a phrase that is a position of honor, the title of honor. For instance, Israel is called, as a nation, the firstborn son of God. They were the first ones that God entered into relationship with. And this means the nation of Israel is the most favored child of God, but here's the beautiful thing, because people get jealous, well, wait a minute, what about me? I want to be the most... But in a sense, they, God chose them first. Every family has a firstborn. But it doesn't mean that when you have a secondborn, you love them less. It just means that somebody was first and then somebody is second. As a true parent, you love them all equally. But somebody has the title of they were first and then the other was second. And here's the beautiful thing. As God says, they're my most beloved. Then guess what? If you come through Jesus Christ, then you become his favorite and his most beloved. Amen. Can I hear an amen on that? Say, so, well, why are they the chosen? And you feel like we're left out. No, they're the chosen so that Jesus is the chosen Messiah. So that if you're in the chosen Messiah, Jesus Christ, you become the favorite chosen child of God for all time and eternity. Now, number two, we must note that the firstborn is a title of the Messiah. Now, I didn't have room to or put this in your notes, but if you want to add Psalm 89, verse 27, this phrase is used as a promise and prophecy regarding the Messiah. 
Psalm 89 verse 27 says, also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Well, obviously, when that Messiah comes, he came from the line of David. Well, David was a king before the Messiah, but when he says firstborn, he's not talking about the first king, he's talking about the firstborn as the preeminent king, even above David. So again, what I want you to understand is firstborn doesn't mean Jesus was created like God the Father existed forever and then at some point in eternity, then he decided to have the son born. No, Jesus has existed already for all time and all of eternity. As the Father has existed eternally, so the Son has existed eternally. And so the Spirit of God has existed for eternity. They are omnipresent. They all have the same qualities, and this is beautiful. So clearly the firstborn is not used in a time sense, but in the sense of special honor. So when Paul says that the Son of the Son, that he is the firstborn of all creation, he means that the highest honor which creation holds belongs to him. He is the highest above all creation. Now, let's get into verse 16. He makes another huge statement. And so once he says he's already existed, then secondly, he says Jesus Christ created all things. He is the agent of the creation of the entire universe. Look with me in verse 16. For by him, so he's still talking about Jesus, the image of the invisible God. For by him, all things, and by the way, the, the secret Greek meaning of the phrase all things is all things. There's nothing secret about it. For by him, all things were created. Who are we talking about? Jesus. By him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Wow. It is by the Son, Jesus Christ, that all things were created. Now, think about this. Since Jesus Christ created all things, he himself is uncreated because he's the creator of everything. And this is true not only of the things in the universe or in the physical realm that we have on planet Earth, but the Bible tells us even the things that are in heaven, all of the things that are in heaven, that are seen, that are unseen. Now, when he uses this phrase, what are thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers? Let me let you in a little bit on, if we were to you know, have a little class and do a little uh, a debrief and, and teaching on Jewish theology of angels, even going back to the days of the Apostle Paul, a, you know, Pharisee, Jewish, uh, rabbi 2,000 years ago, you can read the writings of the rabbis from several thousand years ago that they had a highly developed theology of different rankings as well as different kinds of angels. They're not all you know, the same. They don't all look the same. There's all kinds of different ones. There's some that appear as messengers and appear as men. 
but you don't know that they actually are an angel. Even in the New Testament, it says, beware when you entertain strangers, for some have entertained angels completely unaware. I think it's going to be fun to get to heaven and go, so where were the angels that came into my life? Surely there have been angels. How many of you have had a near-death experience already in your life, huh? You know, some of you got more angels than ever, you know, you, you got a few more watching over you, protecting you. I, I can't wait to get to heaven and say thank you to my angel or angels. Can I hear an amen? Thank you for watching over me and taking care of me. But thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, there, there appears to be regional areas where angels go. There's angels on assignment for specific missions and roles that we see both in the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament. And what this verse is, Paul is saying they were created. By whom? Jesus Christ. Now here's what you need to know about the Gnostics. This was the cult uh, that was trying to diminish Jesus and say, yeah, Jesus, they actually said, for instance, because they, they call themselves Christians, but they, they turned the, the whole issue of who Jesus was around and they said, Jesus is like one of the angels. And, and Paul said, are you out of your minds? Do you realize what you were doing and what you were saying? You are diminishing him, throwing him into the rank, even as beautiful and glorious and amazing as the cherubim and the seraphim and the angels and the thrones and the principalities and dominions. He goes, no, he created them, all of them. Paul is saying you give great place in your thinking to angels, but you rate Jesus as merely one of them. He created them. Now, not only did he create the things that are in heaven, but he created everything on the earth. No wonder the wind obeyed him, if I may say it so clearly, because Jesus created wind. No wonder the waves obeyed him and he could rebuke them because he created the waves. That's the whole beauty of reading the, man, if you haven't read one of the gospels lately, read through one of the gospels. There is nothing that did not bow and obey him and nature was the easiest and first one. Sure, we see the demons, fallen angels, being cast out, screaming, trying to get out of their punishment or whatever, but it didn't matter if it was a storm, didn't matter if it was wind, didn't matter if it was waves, didn't matter what it was. And he showed and demonstrated his creative authority and his creative power. Amen? John chapter 1, verse 3. Let's confirm it again from one of the gospels of the beloved John. Chapter 1, verse 3. Let's read it out loud. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, let me just tell you, as pressure mounts and as things continue to pile on us, you're going to have opportunities that God is going to give to you to share your faith with family and friends and so forth. And there are going to be those who are going to want to say, well, it, that's good for you, but not for me. I've got another way, you know, which I always like to come back with. And so how's that working for you? <laughs> These days... If I may say, you know what, uh, why one of the reasons God allowed troubled times in Israel? Because they were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping idols. They weren't worshiping him. So what God basically said is, look, you know, I'm your lover. I'm your husband. And now you're with this 
boyfriend and okay, fine, I'm gonna back up and see how he treats you. And so the idols would just be you know, bashing and whipping on Israel and finally God would say, so would you like to come back to me? And they're like, yeah, he keeps beating me. He keeps hurting me. He says, I told you, come back, come home. So the story is told over and over again that God wants to protect you. He wants to bless you. He wants to watch over you. He wants to give you all the dreams and desires of your heart. He actually loves and cares about you. So what God is doing, whether it's the United States or any other place in the world right now, if they're not honoring him, God is backing up. Why? He is allowing all the idols to be exposed. All lies, anything that we had trusted in, and then, yeah, we did it, we tried it, we forced our will in our way, and everything is falling apart. Everything is coming undone. So God uses that to wake us up and say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go back to the Lord. I actually had peace but I saw the razzle and dazzle over here. I thought the grass is greener on the other side of the hill. I ran away, but I've learned my lesson. That's a prodigal son. He knew what it was like to be home. He said, my dad treats his slaves and servants better than what I've been treated. I'm not worthy to be a son, but I'll go home and say, dad, I get it. I don't need to be in the family. Hire me and my wages will go up. My life will go up. And, and, but the father embraced him. You're my son. I've been waiting for you, looking for you every day, and now you've come home. It's a great season and a great opportunity. I believe that many prodigals are going to run home. Can I hear an amen on that? Lord, make it so in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Okay, look at again, verse 16, and I want you to write this in your notes. All things exist for him. Not only did he create all things, but all things exist for whom? Jesus. Verse 16. Again, he says, all things, after saying, you know, created visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers, all things were created through him and for him. Everything exists in him, for him, and through him. Jesus is the sphere in which they all exist. He is the agent through whom they came into being. And the one for whom they were made, including you and me. And all of creation. By the way, so getting away from the you know, human beings that were made in the image of God, just looking at the beauty of creation, all of creation, therefore reflects his glory, his beauty, his wisdom, his power, his goodness, and God often uses nature, and the, even though we live in a fallen world, there's a reflective glory there that is to bring us back to the one who made us in the first place and in the very beginning. Okay, look with me now in verse 17. Oh, man, this is, this is the one I couldn't wait for. Are you ready? This is the one that I'm most excited about. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. I want you to write this down in your notes. In Jesus Christ, all things hold together. I think that's literally how it's even translated in the NIV. In Jesus Christ, all things hold together. Lord, how am I gonna hold it together in 2022? You're not. 
You can't. But I want you to know this. He can. He does. He is. Look, look right here. Jesus Christ created all things. Everything was made by him, through him, for him, and all things consist, that means hold together by Jesus Christ. He literally is holding everything together. So it doesn't matter whether you can, what you can handle, what you can't handle. You keep your eyes and trust in the one who does have it all together, who can hold it all together because he is in you. And then Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? Now think about this. We know that all matter is made up of atoms. I mean, this is such a strange thing. You, you know, I remember being a little kid and then finally you get, like, for me, I guess it was a high school or whatever, and you start doing some biology and some science and you're like, what? Everything's made out of what is an atom, uh, which are so small they're invisible, and they're made of protons and electrons, you remember all of that, and the nucleus is the proton, which they said is positively charged, and then there's electrons, which are negatively charged. And so you have this positive charge and a negative charge, and they're whirring around the nucleus. <laughs> and then, you know, the teacher goes on to say, and by the way, uh, they should repel each other and should be going in the exact opposite direction, but somehow they keep whirling around to make this one little atom, and then you multiply, you know, gazillions of them, and they make matter. But how do we get atoms to hold together in, and in order to form matter? Because we know that charges repel and that opposite charges attract. So the question has become for science, what holds atoms together when the laws of electricity say that they should repel, go in opposite directions and explode? The force that holds them together is so strong that when it is interrupted, what happens? A nuclear blast. Vis invisible little atoms that are real, that have these positive negative charges, when we get in there, something is holding them together that's so powerful, if you get in there and split the atoms, you have just created a nuclear blast. Therefore, something stronger than a nuclear blast is forcing them to hold together. Who is that? Jesus. By the word of his power. So if I could just say this, there's enough atoms in, you know, in our bodies that nuclear explosions could be happening. I know some of you feel like you've been experiencing that. <laughs> but the reality is, every atom of every form within this universe is held together in a way that they don't know how to explain, <laughs> but the Bible explains. Even Albert Einstein, remember you know, the theory of relativity and he's trying to figure all this out. He never quite said there wasn't a God or that there was a God, but he never would quite go, he wasn't happy enough you know, for the atheists and he didn't say enough about God for believers, but he kind of left it out there. And then he said, but there's something about the universe. And he wanted to find out how does it all 
the theory kind of of everything. How does it all work and hold together? There's something unifying about it. And I believe that right here in Colossians chapter one, verse 17, through Jesus Christ, all things consist, all things are held together. How even the atoms in your body that have the power if split to bring a nuclear blast, you are literally held together moment by moment by the word of his power. Can I hear an amen? amen. The great I am. When Jesus comes back, no wonder it says, it's not like this big battle, like we're all gonna be you know, swashbuckling, fighting with the enemies. You know what the book of Revelation chapter 19 says? Jesus shows up. Yeah, we're all, he's got all of his saints and angels and everything, but it says he just opens his mouth. He opens his mouth and a light like a sword comes down. It's over. There's no battle. He just opens his mouth. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Let me put it in Hebrew, a little more emphatic. In Hebrew, it's less words. In the beginning, God said, light be. Light be and light was. Light came out of his mouth at over 184,000 miles per second. His word. So this is why we have the word of God is supernatural. It's powerful. It's inspired. It is God breathed. This is the seeds of promise and love from your Father and your Creator and your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, planted in your heart that will bear fruit of love and joy and peace for all time and of all of eternity if we will trust in Him and His Word. Amen? It is Jesus Christ, the one who holds it together. So if you're feeling out of control, can't get control of anything, Know this, he is on the throne. He is holding you together, the world together. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, ready? Mind blown. Okay, let's go to verse 18. We'll close with verse 18 for, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Again, remember, it doesn't mean like we think of in, in time, but priority, he's the firstborn from the dead, meaning resurrection, that in all things he may have the preeminence. I love this. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. We, so this is, um, there are many images of the church, and the body is maybe the most important one. Every true believer on planet Earth, which is supposedly right now somewhere around 2.7 billion with a B, from every nation, every language, every kindred, every tribe, all seven continents around the world. Every believer is the body. And it's, no, it's not some individual church, it's not some individual denomination or whatever. It's every true believer makes up the body and Jesus is the head. He leads, he guides, he directs, he governs as the head. He brings direction, he brings empowerment uh, to every member that is connected to the head. And he brings purpose. And, and I just love that. Who is the head, and then he is the firstborn from the dead. This does not mean uh, he was the first person to resurrect because actually we know there were people resurrected before Jesus. 
So now you have a great example. I mean, in fact, literally right before Jesus' own death, burial, and resurrection, he raised another guy from the dead whose name was Lazarus. So this is the greatest proof when somebody tries to tell you, oh, he's the firstborn, so he had to be created or whatever. No. <laughs> it says here he's the firstborn from the dead. He's obviously not the first person raised from the dead. We know that Lazarus was. There was a guy in the Old Testament that was. Got near the bones of a prophet or whatever. So what it means is it's a priority of position. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the first in priority to have resurrection. And all who come after him shall have the hope of resurrection. Isn't that so beautiful? Hallelujah. Jesus, do you realize? I mean, Jesus rose from the dead. That means every memorial, every gravesite, you know, there's hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For everyone who puts their faith and hope and trust in him, it's not over. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? And that in all things, he may have the preeminence. The word translated preeminence is used nowhere else in the entire New Testament. It's only one time Paul used it one place. It's in this letter to the Colossians in the middle of these verses that put Jesus <laughs> so high. There's nobody else worthy to be anywhere near him. That's why he can say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the one that can bring you to my kingdom and the kingdom of my father and to heaven and you haven't seen nothing yet. It's gonna heal when he comes back and that light flashes out of his mouth and he sits on the throne of David. Woo! I'm telling you, the Bible tells us the prophet said, when his feet touch the top of the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives is, is a mountain made of dirt and rocks. It's going to split and bow. Inanimate objects are going to bow before him. It says immediately the deserts, the whole thing that started with the curse back in the Garden of Eden is going to be reversed. The curse is going to be reversed. And it says that the deserts will blossom like the rose. The world, I mean, if you are into the planet and to the green planet and to a healthy, pure air and fresh water and all that, you want to be with Jesus because he's the one that's going to make it happen. And you're going to want him to come as soon as he can because when he comes, the deserts will blossom as rose. It says it's going to be like an earthquake. I mean, you can imagine when the creator comes to this one tiny planet, to rule and reign for a thousand years, as the book of Revelation says. The whole earth is vibrating, shaking like an earthquake. And it says all the trees of the field, if you can imagine it, shaking in an earthquake. And the trees will look like they're clapping their hands. The creator of every tree, mountain, valley, stream, little bird, all of the animal creatures, it's gonna be awesome. How many can say he can't come soon enough? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's why we say Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. He is the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have preeminence. I'm gonna close with this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna hold up? How are we gonna make it as we go into another time and season? 
We're gonna do this. Let's read it out loud. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.